As I look in the mirror this morning on some dirty old restroom wall, it took a while to realize it's really me there inside because I've aged 20 years and five. I recall when I looked much younger and it wasn't so long ago, but one night of sleeping to four nights of wine and you'll age 20 years and five. George Jones. Hello, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi. Zelwyn, how are you? Doing great, Willie. It's glad to have you back. We've missed you Thank for you. a while. Good to be back. Good to be back. I am back in the saddle. By the way, I've got a refrigerator in my office, and it's making a loud humming noise. I hope that's not picking up on the microphone right now. Hopefully not. Okay, I'll try to I'll try to huddle around it and block the sound. Yeah, good to be back. Uh, been a little bit busy here new baby and all that and all the other associated things that uh, go on. But I am very much alive, contrary to rumors. Word Fitly Spoken is still going on. There is not a rift in the Word Fitly, uh, in the Word Fitly Lodge or anything like that. It's just life, uh, life gets busy sometimes. Life comes at you fast. And sometimes Indeed you just have does. to deal. Indeed it does. We are, uh, you know... A lot, of, a lot of stuff coming up here uh, for the grills, is, so we're uh, we're excited. And Zelman always holds down the fort. He is the rock that keeps us. He is the St. Peter upon which the Word Fitly Nation is built. And so he keeps it. He keeps it going. My my natural Scandinavian piety isn't sure what to make of that, but well, who is the who is the apostle to Scandinavia? To Scandinavia, I suppose King Olaf, right? King Olaf, yeah, Olaf. That's a real name. It's a real name, folks. They use it for people up there. I love it. Good people, the best people, the Norwegians. How's how are things out your way weatherwise? Uh, well, uh, tornado warning a couple days ago. Uh, rainy uh, right now, but otherwise in the seventies and eighties here in November. Um, how about your way? Well, as I look out the window, I see snow. So what does that tell you? Tells me you're you're contented and happy for once. <laughs> but only for a short time. But only for it's this too shall pass. <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a bit of a snowstorm yesterday. Nothing super serious, but uh at least as the time at the time of this recording, they are predicting a much more serious snowstorm coming maybe tomorrow night. So we'll see what happens. But I would say that uh, winter has definitely set in in the frozen north. Wholesome. That's just kind of where we yeah. are. Winter's just not getting here. It's just not going to happen. We decided no winter in Arkansas. We're just going to keep keep it that way. Yeah. No, I mean, we'll have winter for you. Let's put it that way. Right. Well, you know, um, since I've been away for just a little bit, it's time to come back with an episode that's going to get everybody's jimmies rustled. It's going to be entitled Temperance, and when people see it, they're going to say, uh-oh. Some are going to wonder, are they going to go teetotalers? Or is this just going to be an episode dunking on the temperance movement? And it's not. It's not a historical episode. We're going to talk about temperance proper, temperance according to the Bible, self-control and things like that, diligence, if you will, discipline. So it won't all be about alcohol, but it will be quite a bit about alcohol. And Zelwyn, why might our predominantly... Lutheran audience bristle a little bit about this subject. Well, I think sometimes we treat alcohol as a kind of third or fourth sacrament, depending on how you number Perhaps them. even a mark of the church. Right. <laughs> we can't do church discipline, but, you know, if you don't have a pilsner on tap, 
for every meeting. Are you even alive? Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, beer and alcohol generally is something that is very common within Lutheran circles. And and we'll just, we'll talk about, you know, what that means and what it looks like and how we should approach these things. But we just do need to approach everything from a biblical standpoint so that we understand where it's coming from, right? Right, 100%. And, you know, here's the thing, and we're going to say things that most people... Um, you know, most people know that, you know, we, we should drink in moderation. We'll talk about that. We will talk about excess drinking and kind of the drinking culture um, in, in America. I'm recording this uh, kind of on the eve of Arkansas voting to legalize recreational marijuana or not. So we're going to talk about that, too. And, um, and and I know we'll get some pushback on this. We'll get some people that are mad. We have we have heavy drinkers in every church, regardless of denomination both clergy and lay. We have recreational marijuana users, both clergy and lay in the Missouri Synod and across denominations. And it's a pet sin. I don't, you know, I I really think we need to, it seems kind of weird to sit here and say, maybe drug use, not the best thing for us, but it's also even harder to understand that heavy drinking isn't, isn't the best thing for you, but it is, it is moderation. We can't make a law and say, that it is a sin to consume all alcohol. We know that. If if it you know our Lord inst- our Lord's first miracle is the wedding at Cana, right? And he's not right. making grape juice. I understand that. So don't sit up straw men. You know we're not uh, we're not making that argument. Uh, but we what we are saying we are removed from the temperance movement. And although one day we might have word fitly temperance pledges on the site for sale, we uh, <laughs> we we are saying that that it is time to have this discussion. And Zoe, I think I can speak for both of us when I say this is in large part a reaction to some of the things that we've seen, you know, in our lives or among our peers or perhaps even among, you know, the Lutheran culture in general. Yeah, and I, think, no, I, th- I think that's fair. Yeah. And I, and I think it is largely dependent upon where you live right now or where you grew up. I mean, where... Where I grew up, it was a it was a dry county, but it's also an area associated heavily with moonshining. So... So, you know, what do you do with that? But there wasn't this huge drinking culture. Now, the county I grew up in is still dry, but the two towns are wet. And I don't know if we can say we've actually improved all that much. I don't think you've really moved the needle as far as who was drinking and who wasn't. It's just they do it in the open now. And that's what we bump into. It's legal, so it's good. I can have as much. But a lot of this stuff we could apply to food. We could apply this to anything. It doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol. And so this is an exhortation to what the Bible tells us to do. And we all need that reminder. We all need that check, lest we become overwhelmed by our passions. And it could apply to, uh, you know, outbursts of anger. It could apply to, you know, anything. But for now, we're going to talk about substances and what we take into our body. And as we'll, we will see as we go through, especially some of the passages connected with this, as you point out, Willie, temperance is not something that is entirely connected to substances, you know, whether that right. be food, drink, whatever. Um, but it is something that is actually described as a fruit of the spirit. It's described as, you know, what it means to live as a Christian. Yes, and so yes. this kind of temperance that we're going to be talking about is something that is a very wide principle. We're not just dunking on one particular aspect of life. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot, like I said, a lot of the conversation is going to kind of revolve around this because that is sort of the linchpin 
of the conversation. That's that's sure. the context that's always cast in. But there is a broader context here. So disclaimer aside, Zelwyn, what's your favorite alcoholic beverage? <laughs> um, I guess I tend to drink like gins and that sort of thing. You just, I just, he stores the juniper berries in his cheeks until it ferments, <laughs> and that's how and much he likes gin. Drink vodka to to make it happen. <laughs> just and swish and swish, you know. And and I do like beers and that sort of thing too. So we're obviously not opposed to these things. But yeah, I have Willie, what? Oh, it's mine. Yeah. Um, what about you? Uh, I, I do enjoy uh, whiskeys. I'm duty bound to say that I like bourbons, just b- on basis of being from Kentucky. But whiskeys are good, but I like gins, things like that. Uh, but I probably like them too much. You know, you think about that too when you're like, man, I really like this. And uh, this should be a controlled substance I can only get with a prescription. That's a joke for liabilities purposes. But no, um, you know, uh, bourbons are good. I'll say one nice thing about the Irish. They make a good whiskey. That's um, true. You know, I'll give them, I will give them that. So, yeah, things like that. I'm not a huge beer drinker, but I will. Because there are certain things uh, that a cheap cold beer is uh, required for mowing the lawn, super Indeed. hot weather. Down here, I would I would even say a crawfish boil. In my life, there's in my life there's really not a place for a lot of craft beers, but more power to you. You know, a lot of people enjoy them. So I like a stout every now and then, if I must. It's it's all good stuff. I uh, actually I'm actually going to solicit the nation for this because before the cheap hop came and dominated beer. They used to make beer with Gruet. Can you still find beers made that way in the old pre-Reformation day? Somebody out there is bound to know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, which reminds me. Um, in uh, in my Mormon interviews, I've mentioned fry sauce, so I need to thank the listener, um, whom I will leave anonymous, but you know who you are, who sent me the good quantity of uh, Arctic Circle fry sauce. It, it was received, and I do appreciate it. Thank you. Has it Has it been used? It has definitely been used. <laughs> <laughs> not not exhausted yet, but used. Yes. Well, good. Well, good. Well, and I mean, so with with those preliminaries out of the way, then too, where do we want to begin the discussion of temperance or well, there, of self control you know, or whatever you want to call it? There are so many um, Bible verses that point us to this, uh, point us to uh, something you know better, and it's uh, you know I would say something like. Uh, you know, the Bible verses that urge us towards self-control or to, uh, you know, preparing our bodies, things like that. So, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you are bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Paul talking about disciplining his body so that he isn't, uh, he is not disqualified, for example. Uh, where would you begin the discussion? Well, maybe, maybe the best way to begin for me, anyway, would be to go to those places where the word itself is actually used. Because then we can see it in its yeah. kind of in the context. Kind so of thing. the Greek word that is typically translated as temperance is uh, it only really occurs. Well, it occurs four times and in three verses. Right. Right. And right. so let's uh, let's pull those up then. OK, we have uh, ekrateia is the word uh, for temperance. Uh, typically. Also, in modern times, translated as self-control, or in better times, we had a fancy word called continence. But unfortunately, continence in modern English has the connotation of uh, bedwetting or bowel loosening. So, (laughs) 
so we, but that's not what continence is. Uh, so it's used, like I said, four places, three verses. You've got Acts 24. As he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So uh, that's Felix in the book of Acts. We have it used in Galatians 5, which is meekness, temperance, against such things there is no law. And, and so the fuller context of that is going to be, you know, the contrast between, uh, you know, the, the fruits of the, the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. Right. Uh, and then we have it used two times by Peter in uh, Second, Second Peter, Peter 1, yep. Second Peter 1, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. So right. isn't that interesting? Uh, to be self-controlled actually leads to patience. Uh, which right. I find very interesting. And patience leads to godliness. So temperance leads to contentedness. Now, isn't that an interesting thing? Why do we often lack self-control? I believe it's because we are miserable in our lot. We want to escape from something. And so, again, if we want, we can use with eating, drinking, whatever. We're, we're trying to fill a hole there or find a distraction somewhere. And maybe, maybe perhaps um, binge watching something is akin to binge drinking. It's just trying to veg out forever because we are so discontented with what we have. And, and so instead of praying, instead of fasting, instead of this, that, or the other, instead of tempering ourselves, we, uh, we seek to, what would be the opposite of that? Uh, what would be the opposite of temperance as a verb or tempering as a verb? Well, intemperant, I suppose. Yeah, yeah we, but. we, but we wouldn't use it that way, right? We intemperate ourselves. Uh, but, uh, well, I mean, I don't know. It's popular to verb things that shouldn't be today. Maybe we can do it in a pietistic way. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, but that's the thing. And, and I think maybe that's why we, we bristle. Temperance is actually leading to patience, which leads to godliness. And a lot of people have told you wrongly that godliness is not something you can possess or strive toward. They would say that, yes, you can have godliness in a passive way, but that's not how the scriptures speak about it. It speaks about it's something that you're working and striving toward. Well, because we, we as you know, Christians, as the regenerate, we do strive towards these things. I mean, we are, I guess you Correct. could say, operating. We are, we are. You know, this, this idea that we never in any way cooperate, even though the confessions say we do, in, in um, sanctification is probably the reason why we can't speak clearly on moral issues today, issues of headship, issues of anything. We've made things either purely theoretical, okay, or purely about some, you know, amorphous idea of the gospel that we can't speak in concrete terms anymore. Does that make sense? Right. No, it makes so, perfect sense. So that, oh, well, uh, I can't speak to this issue of should this person be doing this or that because. I don't know, the quote-unquote gospel is more important, or, well, we can't be perfect anyway. That's my favorite excuse. It's a fallen world, so we have to do things unethically or not according to the will of God in the, in the in clear scriptures because it's not expedient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe something that I was thinking of, too, kind of getting back to the, the word temperance itself, uh, that enkrateia in the Greek, Yes. Uh, it's derived from, you know, in, includes in itself like that krateo, that, um, that mm -hmm. power, that doing kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's to be like uh, in one's own power, to be under your yeah. own power sort of a thing. 
Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a telling point because if we are intemperate, we are Mm -hmm. acting under some other power. Right. I mean, it it is self-control, but it, but in the Christian context, it's, it's the one who masters their desires and passions. So how do we do that by the Holy spirit working in us? Mm -hmm. So it is, the Holy Spirit working through us to subdue our passions. And we are working a lot. We're working in that. We are there more than just along for the ride. So that under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and I, again, yes. yeah, I'm not yes. trying to say yes. that we're not under that power. We are. No, but I'm saying that's a good pun to use under the influence <laughs> in the context. Is, no, but no, we I'm have good. to, but we, but the point is, like you're saying, it is a subduing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that I am self-possessed. So that I am self-possessed. Yeah. As opposed to possessed by something else. Yes. And we'll talk a bit more about um, lack of self-control and opening ourselves to influences from the outside a little bit later on. Because uh, uh, you're going to make a connection you know, to, to possession and, and liberation right. a right. little bit which, later. Spoiler alert. have to do. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's the thing. I, you know, as we talk a lot on the podcast about prayer and about cultivating that... Um, you know, this is not something that you're going to do overnight and self-control is not something that, you know, we're ever going to master perfectly this side of glory. And yet it's something we are called to do and indeed must do as Christians. And just like with prayer, that's a discipline we have to cultivate. And I do believe that self-control begins with prayer. You have to begin everything with prayer. Make supplication first. That's what the scripture says to make supplication. It doesn't say, you know, the fruit doesn't begin in the perfect supplication. It begins just in making the supplication. Right. It never right. says pray it perfectly. It says make it, and then God hears and God grants. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's not about the perfect form. It's about that supplication and, and praying to God to grant it. So if you want self control, ask God for it, and you know what He will He will actually answer that prayer. Right. Well, and I think that's an important point to make because very often we try to approach the question of self control purely in our own terms or in worldly terms or something like that. And it's no surprise that when we do that, that it becomes difficult to the point of impossible, right? When we don't, when we don't have the spirit moving us, when we don't have the spirit giving us these gifts, giving us his fruits of self-control, we are not going to find it in, at least in the Christian sense. Yeah. It's not simply a case of getting up and lifting, (laughs) you know, it's, it right. doesn't work quite that way. It's not a self-mastery only in that way. I think that that could be part of it if you if you have the right eyes and the right attitude there. But it's not something that we can just do in and of ourselves because there is a, a bad kind of perceived self-control that just leads to haughtiness, that just leads to boasting. Right. And then right. that's the kind that you see. Um, that's the Pharisee and the publican situation. Right. Br- Lord, I'm I'm thankful I'm not like this other, this soy jack over here. I am based in trad. I'm thankful I'm not like this soy boy over here. I am I am ripped in jack and slunk eggs. You know, there's nothing just like with the Pharisee. Nothing wrong with praying, and and indeed nothing wrong with lifting and slunking eggs and things like that. And you want to be based in trad, but it, but not in a way that you lose your soul. Not in a way that you're that you're using it to uh, to virtue signal in the opposite way. Right. Exactly. Well, with that, we have got our first break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken right after this.
Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. We're talking about temperance, self-control, and all that fun stuff here on the podcast. So, all right. So I said it's not going to be all about alcohol. Now we're going to do the part where we talk about alcohol. So let's go ahead and just just do it because the Bible actually does speak about it. Pretty frequently, in fact. We'll get yeah. it out of the way. Okay, so people are going to immediately type in Jesus' first miracle. Yes, we agree. It is wine. Yes, wine does make glad the heart. There's your two pro verses. And yes, the wedding feast of the Lamb and His kingdom, which has no end, will probably include wine. One of the promises is good wine and rich, fatty foods. Make of that what you will. And yet, you won't be a glutton in heaven. So, deal with it. All right. So, let's take a look at some Bible verses here. Okay, probably... uh, most clear, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. A smart aleck would say, oh, so I can get drunk on other things. It just says wine. Somewhere, someone has made that argument. <laughs> you know, okay, so that's just very clear, which leads to debauchery. We have uh, Paul elsewhere talking about it leading to dissipation. Right. That's an interesting word. What would you, how would you define dissipation in the Bible? Uh, dissipation would probably be more like binge drinking, like doing a lot of it all at once kind of a thing. So it's, it's drunkenness, but it is, it's complete lack of self-control in getting drunk. Right. And it it comes up again in Titus. And I think technically like, I mean, look at Ephesians five, like the King James is going to say dissipation again. So whatever the modern translations are doing, but yes, very good. So you want to be filled with, the spirit you don't want to lead to getting drunk leads to to bad things and can lead to bad things, not just for you but for others. And you have to think about that to be drinking, you know, so heavy. And even if you've just and many many can identify with this, right? Even if it's just something as simple as drinking too much and losing control of your tongue and saying things you shouldn't, even more than just doing things that you shouldn't. These are not right. good things. Uh, you want some more verses? First uh, Peter five eight. Be sober mindful. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You need to be sober-minded yourself, which isn't just not drinking, but being clear of thought, You know, seeing things as they are, because the devil is going to take advantage of you if you're not. If he catches you weak, he's going to pounce on that weakness. Well, and that sobriety of mind, like you said, it's not just being sober, like literally just being sober the way that we would use that word. But it is a kind of clarity in our thought, a kind of, uh, like you say, self-possession of our thought. We are thinking that which is right, and we are not under the influence of some other thing which causes us to not pay attention to what's more important, right? So this right. is why Jesus will often say, you know, be sober-minded and be watchful, because you do not know the day or the hour. You know, right. If we are under the influence of something, we will not be ready for the coming of our Lord. Exactly. And, you know, simple enough. And yet one of those things that we just fail to understand, you know, God doesn't give us alcohol and substances simply um, to make us lose control. Right. You know, and and as we lose control, and we'll talk about this more in the practical section, we we open up ourselves to influences that we shouldn't. But we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, down the road. Okay. All right. How about First uh, Timothy when it's talking about uh, elders and uh, deacons? So 
The saying is trustworthy, 1 Timothy 3. If anyone aspires to be the office of an overseer, that's pastor, that's elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. We, we don't like any of this anymore. Um, <laughs> the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Uh, he must not be a recent convert. He may become puffed up. Uh, he must be thought well of by outsiders. So, that's an interesting one. So that he might not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. All of these things where we go, oh, it doesn't matter because we can't live up to that. So, wah, wah. Um, but he continues. Though, yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Even though. Even, even though Paul clearly presents them as like the minimum. But yeah, the bare minimum. He continues, there. deacons, because we we may or may not have the trifold office in Scripture, uh, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, nor greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith of the clear conscience, uh, so on and so forth. Let them be tested and so on. So both of them must be self-controlled, and specifically uh, drunkenness is mentioned here. But also in the case of the elder, you have... Um, not controlling over over himself, but also his household. So he manages himself, and from that he's able to manage his household well. It is a tall order, and it is something that should give pastors especially pause here, because there's talking about you. Right. And if you, and if you have deacons, it's talking about you too, I suppose. But it's talking about you, and it's not fair, and it's not right, and it's a danger to your soul for us to lie and go, oh, but he, he didn't mean that because it's an impossible standard, because we hear that. That's the excuse for admitting uh, men with multiple wives to the pastorate. That's the excuse for admitting people who are not apt to teach to the pastorate. That's the excuse for letting wolves into the sheep pen. And it has to stop. Now, we don't want to be haughty, but if Paul can say these words, I discipline myself lest I find myself disqualified, how much more should we be that way? Sure. This is why I send Zelwyn. You sin. We both sin greatly. And we have to cultivate repentance. And I would I would encourage um, everyone to find, and you can push back on this if you want, a father confessor for this reason, Zelwyn, because if we confess our sins, now it sounds like I'm quoting First John, but I'll go ahead and do that. If we confess our sins, God, will, <laughs> who is faithful and just, will forgive us from all, or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I was going to say, admitting that you have a problem admitting you have a besetting sin will actually help you overcome that because at least now you can say, yeah, this is a problem. To hide it in the dark or to find those who will encourage you in what is killing you is not good. And so my brother pastors or my brothers in Christ in general, if you're drinking a gallon of hooch a day, stop and get help. And I'm not saying necessarily to detox, but at least admit to someone that I need some accountability. And if you can't have that bottle, that full bottle without drinking at all, then then don't. Don't don't have it in your house or buy a pint or buy a half pint. I don't know. Now it sounds like I'm giving the worst spiritual advice ever, but just on a very practical level, have someone to hold you accountable. And by all means, it's the pastor who can give you absolution for those sins. But I say this not in a legalistic way, because I heard this a lot growing up. And, I, and it's, this is a wholesome story and also not a wholesome story. And I told the story in the podcast before. So we have a soft drink in Kentucky called L8, which is like a, a really good kind of ginger ale, okay. of course. And of course. Um, but, but it comes predominantly in green glass bottles. 
And I knew people in the holiness churches there who wouldn't be caught drinking it, like in the car, not because the police would pull them over, but because people might see them and think they were drinking alcohol. Now, in the one hand, you could say, okay, that might cause them to stumble. There's a wholesome reading, but there's another reading that says, I don't want to appear to be seen drinking alcohol uh, because alcohol itself is bad. That's not the moral reason. If you are drinking alcohol to the point that it is making you sick, that you are becoming dissipated, or that you know you're doing this or the other, or that it's destroying your health, your liver, your brain, it's not good for you. You need to stop because you will soon find it destroying your soul as well. And that would that would apply to all drugs. You can't you can enjoy alcohol. I'm not saying don't enjoy it in moderation, but if it is destroying you, this isn't good. And I would and we we need to say this to to people who are gluttonous. We need to say this to people who are taking drugs. My brothers, this isn't good. This this shouldn't be. You're harming yourself and, and it's maybe time to to quit. And no pastor's going to no pastor worth his calling is going to condemn you um if you come to him with this uh, for counsel and absolution and just help. We need to be able to. And but 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 because of the culture that has sprung up around alcohol in particular, and I'm going to say it just in the Lutheran church and the Catholic churches, where it has become that mark, as you say, rightly, right. uh, where it has become that, you know, we, we ridicule people who don't drink at all. Or, or if someone says, no, no, thank you, we want, to, we want to push that onto them. And I'm not advocating straight edge or something like that. It's a little cringy, and I'm just old and not cool. I'm not, I'm not a punk rocker. I mean, but if it works for some people, it works for some people. But, you know, to think about our brother uh, who might be struggling with that and to not encourage them in that. And and it is enough of a problem that I think that we uh, that we have to talk about it. If you look at the binge drinking numbers, and we can't, alcoholism is kind of a difficult one to, to pin down because there's no really good definition for that. But binge drinking is huge. You know, a predominant a percentage of the drinking in American culture is binge drinking to where you're just you might not drink every day, but when you do, you're really, really drinking. That's not healthy, and that's not what the Bible is, uh, tells us to do. And and uh, you know, one drink can turn to five drinks, can turn to eight, can turn to ten very quickly. And so the, the scriptures are telling us not to do that, not telling us not to drink, but telling us not to do that. And I'm using alcohol because to me, it's a very different discussion from drugs. Sure. From pharmacia. Well, because. In all of this, too, what we see happening is that, like you mentioned earlier, that people often will try to fill that kind of perceived void um, that they feel. They, they're trying to basically use alcohol as a means of fixing something that they believe about themselves. And whether we want to admit that or not, right? Because if I'm drinking every day because it's the only way that I can feel like I can be functional, yeah. that sort of thing. Or if it's something where I do it because, well, you know, I'm, I had a hard day. Every day is a hard day. This is the only way I can, quote unquote, relax. That can be very problematic. Yeah, right? or, even, or even this one. I'm drinking it because it's there. Right. You find yourself in that. Here it is. I've got to drink it all. Right. But if we're trying to, to use it in that way, this is the kind of thing that the Bible is speaking against. To yes. use it purely in the in a kind of in a pleasure way, you know, it is something that I can enjoy, something that I can partake from time to time, especially even in moments of joy, that sort of a thing. You know, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible, I mean, the Bible even says that you know, wine was given for that purpose. Yes, 
but it's when we use it as a crutch basically right or, or abuse it, becomes, it simply or abuse it yeah that it becomes yeah i mean you know that can happen anything god says be fruitful and multiply we certainly abuse that i mean you know you can apply this to anything it's just today this is what we're talking about this is what we need to talk about right um you know, there, there are, you know, even more verses and we, I mean, the Bible talks about this quite a bit, so we can't go into, you know, everything, uh, but first Thessalonians five, great book, by the way, first Thessalonians. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Uh, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Uh, that's an interesting one. I like that. Paul's like, yeah, they, they get drunk at night. Like, I don't know, Paul, I've known some who, uh, Day drinkers, as yeah, it were. Yeah, day, day drinkers. But sometimes a man has to day drink. Maybe he's on night shifts. Maybe it's been a hard day. <laughs> Don't know. But I mean, but Paul's bigger point there, too, is that with the night often comes a greater looseness. Right. Yes. And uh, we see that's true even in our time. That's true. And that's absolutely true. And that's true in the in the human world as well as the spiritual world. Exactly. And so in that way, a call to be sober, a call to be self-controlled in that, in that sense is a call to live in the light, to live as one who belongs to the day. These, these things that hurt us, it's, it, you can say like a hangover or like mm-hmm. you eat too much till you're sick, right? Or there's that food you like that you know is going to put you on the toilet in the morning and you shouldn't do it, but you do it anyway. Right. And, and man goes through this cycle of punishing their bodies and suffering for it and going, I'm never going to do that again. And then immediately <laughs> does it yeah. again. And and it just shows how tied to the flesh we are. And tied to those that momentary pleasure makes us forget about you know the the coming punishment. And I don't mean eternal punishment, I just mean, you know, bodily punishment that could happen. And it just is very interesting how the human mind, soul, and body works. Sometimes not in tandem. I would say often not in tandem. <laughs> in the next segment, we'll kind of get into some more practical stuff because Galatians 5 is going to talk about what are you know the being led by the flesh and its works and the fruits of the Spirit and things like that. I don't want to dig into that just yet. But, you know, to say, again, to kind of go back here, you know, quit, quit let, let us let us strive to, to quit hurting ourselves of anything, you know, spiritually uh, and, and physically. But to be awake, and the, the scriptures are always talking about that, being awake, being awake. And kind of ironically, being awake means resting in Christ. And can we rest in Christ in such a way that it doesn't mean that we're asleep as far as, you know, the attacks of the devil are concerned or a war against the passions is concerned? It's a shame that our discussion of this has to be so colored by the temperance movement in the 19th century in America, which is a history episode we need to do. Because like the Puritans, we have completely misrepresented that movement in popular culture. Sure. Because we for, we forget about just how bad the drinking problem was in America at the time. It really, inarguably, was a problem. And now we're getting to where I don't know that we can say drinking as the one issue is the main issue. I don't think that it is. We can't even say that like drug issue is the main issue, although in some places it is the opioid crisis is out of control. But why, why is this happening? Why are our leaders allowing this to happen? It's election day, right? So we're supposed to be apolitical. But you have to ask yourself, if a party 
or uh, leaders are campaigning for something that's going to cause you to lose control, going to cause you to do stupid things, going to cause you to be out of your faculties. Um, is that a good thing for you? Is that God-pleasing? Is that what God asks from a ruler that he has raised up? Questions we should ask ourselves as Christians, I believe. I believe. Um, sure. You know, and, and leaders should aspire to virtue, um, even though unattainable. There are all kinds of things that are unattainable that we aspire to, or should aspire to anyway. But, you know, to, to do this in a humble way, I think, is the trickiest part, Zoan. Because, like, I, I'm going to go back to that L8. Uh, I, I, nobody knows what that is, but, like I said, the soft drink I mentioned earlier. That's a haughty way of doing it. It can be wholesome in one way, but it can also be haughty. It is not about appearances. Because if, it, if, it, if, if being sober-minded and being vigilant for the sake of appearances, we lose our reward. And there's no spiritual profit in that. But if it is to cultivate some interior something <laughs> to cultivate the life of the spirit and if it's related to praying in the spirit then it's unseen and something that god's going to bless and so we need to do that and god will will bless us there some people you know and here's the thing in our last couple of minutes to, to put it into drinking some people's great victory over drinking if they have a problem will be to put it down and never touch it and some people can do that and some people the great victory is going to be i went from 12 drinks a day to 10 drinks. And God is going to honor that victory just the same. God is going to honor that discipline just the same because God is working the one through it. For some people, it's going to look very different. We can't prescribe something, uh, a blanket prescription for everyone. But right. going losing those two drinks for this one man might be a greater triumph than losing all drinks for another man. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so that's where that's where the teetotalers fail, I think. One, putting a standard the Bible doesn't, saying that all alcohol is a sin, but presuming that the struggle of everyone is going to be equally the same. We, we want to be careful with that. We want to be careful with that. Right. Because I, I don't right. know why a man is in the circumstances that he is, and I don't know why God gives uh, the crosses that he does to certain people, and the, and everybody has their own thorns in the flesh. So, but but do we find a way of bearing that cross through something other than Christ? I think your question. Yes, and we must learn to bear. We must learn to bear it through Christ, and must understand from whom the cross has come. Right. Any other uh, any final comments on this before we head over to the next section? No, I, I mean you've you've made some good points with all of this, and yeah, I mean we do have to focus on alcohol, maybe because it's the clearest and it's the easiest issue to talk about. But it is something that you know we end up asking ourselves, you know, is what we are doing worth more to us than Christ? And maybe that's too stark a way of putting it, but I really do think it comes down to that because you know how do we deal with troubles? How do we deal with the temptations of life? Do we turn towards substances? Do we turn towards binging something? Or do we turn towards the one who can actually do something about it, which is Christ our Lord? What does it profit a man if he drinks the whole distillery and loses his soul? It's a good way of putting it. All right. We've got to take our next break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken right after this.
Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi. We've been talking about temperance. Hope you're still with us. Zelwyn, where should we go from here? Well, I think we suggested earlier that we wanted to look at a more practical way of things now. We've yep. kind of talked about the, the more the basis for it, but we need to see how to actually apply it, right? Right. So I would like to read um, from the end of Galatians chapter 5 here, beginning with the 16th verse. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's practical advice right there. Walk by the Spirit, you won't do these things. We're talking about what that means. Zellin will tell you all what it means. For the (laughs) desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Calm down, antinomians. Calm down, O forces in high places. (laughs) Sorry, I need to put parentheses when it's my words. But but now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, the, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, who, who is the Spirit? character here, Zelwyn. Well, the Holy Spirit, of course. Yeah, that's God the Holy Ghost, my friends. <laughs> Holy Ghost power and all We've that. we Holy Ghost power here at Word Fitly Spoken. <laughs> well, I mean, but this, this when Paul starts out by talking about walking with the Spirit, I don't think we want to just blow past that and think that he's just introducing the subject or something like that. You know, yes. the, walking by the Spirit is crucial for understanding all of these things, because when we walk by the Spirit, when we ask God for the fruits of the Spirit, that's how these things are actually come about. You know, we do not have the fruits of the Spirit apart from walking with Him, to being in step with Him, and all of that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, how does one walk by the Spirit? Then I think there's two ways. You know, you know, how do we acquire the Spirit, and then how do we walk in it? Um, and they're and they're related. Of course, we receive the Holy Spirit in baptism. Right. Some some listeners might object to it, but take it up with the Bible. Um, we receive the Holy Spirit, and unless you're, you know, in that kind of inter inter uh, that sort of inter period in Acts where it's a little wonky because of you know John's baptism and and laying on of hands and things like that. But beyond that, um, you know, you receive the Spirit, and now the Spirit is dwelling within you. Depart, thou unclean spirit, make room for the Holy Spirit. Says the baptismal liturgy. At least the one I use, right? And so, uh, so that is happening now. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you. So now, what do we do? How do we cultivate this? I mean, the Spirit is there with you. God has promised not to leave you. That's the promise our Lord Jesus gives us. You know, I think it does begin with uh, Sunday, being in service, receiving the sacrament. This, yes, this is an advertisement for weekly communion and younger communion. And so, Zelwyn's getting uncomfortable. 
He's getting uncomfortable here. <laughs> What's he going to say? And uh, and so I do think it begins with that. And so when I actually believe that a big reason that our children fall away so soon is that we have failed to let them cultivate that relationship with Jesus early. We gave them Noah's art cartoons when we should have been giving them the body and blood of Jesus, and we should have insisted that they be in the church every day hearing the word. You don't send them to children's church. You don't pretend as if a baptized child is not a Christian. You treat them as Christians. And so we all start out as Christians as babies, physical babies or spiritual babies. And we need to, infants, I'll say, and we need to grow in that. So it begins there. We cultivate the spirit and we learn what that is. And we crawl first, then we walk. And if the Lord grants it, we might be able to run someday. That race set before us. So it begins with the divine service, I would say. Well, this this episode just kind of took a different turn all of a sudden. <laughs> right. um, no, I no, I we definitely need to bring our children to know Christ. And if nothing else, if nothing else, leaving aside early communion as a question. I just, just be I know. I'm just I'm just saying that it's just, it's too fun to watch you squirm. See, they don't realize that we actually <laughs> record with video where we can see each other. <laughs> That's true. But that being said, I think just being in church, period, would be a good start. Yes, yes, but I'm saying, but up. I'm saying, my whole point is just this: what do we, what, what happens in the service? You hear the words of absolution. You hear the word. You're praying together. The pastor right. is praying communally in in the stead. You know, uh, he's absolving you in the stead of Christ, and he's praying in the stead of the whole church as he prays. So we're doing that together. The children are hearing the liturgy. They're hearing this and growing up in it. My whole point, and I was only sort of being facetious, was that. Communion is actually an integral part of the liturgy. Sure. Sure. <laughs> let me be high church, Zoan. Let me... Um, Zoan, I'm going to keep dragging bit, you down. So Yeah. What's, ironically, Zoan more high church than me. He just won't admit it. His, <laughs> his Scandinavian piety will not allow him to admit it. It's true. It, it's just a coincidence that I happen to look like I would be, you know, priest to the, to the Tsarina of Russia or something like that. But um, there are no coincidences. But anyway, um, (laughs) point is, I do think that cultivating that interior discipline, and I'm going calendar-wise here, you start off with the day our Lord rose from the dead. Now, what do you do beyond that? What what does your everyday life look like? We talk about prayer a lot. But Zelwyn, would you think it would also mean um, avoiding occasions for sin? Would that be? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we've probably said it many times before on the podcast, but sometimes dealing with temptation is as simple as not going into a situation where you would be tempted. Right. If that means getting rid of the alcohol in your house, then you get rid of the alcohol in your house. If that means you walk a different way home, you walk a different way home. There's nothing wrong with that kind of very practical to put it in Galatians, you get an invite to the orgy, you politely decline. <laughs> uh, maybe not. You don't even have to do it politely. Just decline, right? <laughs> but I mean, it, it's one of these things where, yes, sometimes on Monday morning, that may very well mean prayer. It may very well mean not going into these situations. It may very well mean you just have to give up some things. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that because the the goal here is 
temperance. It is to be yeah. self-possessed. Well, like, so like that, here's one, you know, that's it's probably even more difficult for some people than putting, you know, aside the food or drink is, you know, you have somebody who completely annoys you or somebody who is trying to damage you. The scriptures admonish us to think well of that or to pray for that person and to forgive that person. Right. And, uh, and so for our own sanctification and for the well being of ourselves, it might mean avoiding that person, but it doesn't mean we can curse that person. And that's a right. harder thing to, uh, that's a harder thing to do. Now, there is a time when maybe, depending on what that person's doing, you can pray that their efforts be thwarted or maybe throw an imprecatory psalm out there, you know, depending on the situation. But if it's just somebody who just you don't like, if it's somebody who's committing manifest evil, obviously that needs to be spoken against and stopped. Right. And we're talking about, you know, just whatever those interpersonal conflicts are. You don't like their hair. That's you don't like their hair kind of thing. That's what we're talking about here. You know, if somebody's committing evil or trying to destroy the church, by all means, you know, you have to, it's okay to pray against that. I do actually believe it's okay to pray against the enemies of the church. Yes, we, yeah. we primarily pray for their repentance, but we also pray that God would thwart their evil plans. We're all over the place today. We're That's everywhere. Okay. We're everywhere. But I'm just saying, drown hard-hearted Pharaoh in the Red Sea. Well, and, and with all of this, I mean, and walking in the spirit and being in your right mind, being self-controlled, all of these things, these are important because if we're not, if we allow ourselves to be tempted, if we are constantly in something else, if we're letting these things get in the way of the word, then that's going to lead us into the ways of the world. And Paul makes it abundantly clear that those who persist in such things, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, and that should give us pause because we do not talk about things in that way, do right. we? No. I mean, what do we say? It we we often say, and that's what they often preach. Oh, it doesn't matter, or we'll say it because it is in the lectionary, and right. and then we'll go ah yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. Come on, God doesn't mean that, and we completely <laughs> undo what the scripture is saying here. Paul's like, no, really, it, you're in danger if you do these. Oh, Paul. Paul's just being rhetorical. Is he though? Imagine what we imagine not believing in the Ten Commandments, which is what many people do yeah. with big L's by their name. You know, I I think about this a lot. Speaking of intemperance, I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll reserve my comments. I'll just get myself in trouble if I begin to speak uh, to speak too freely. But um, imagine also, thinking you haven't been already. But go on. <laughs> I don't know. There there is such a connection between power and antinomianism and and uh, and desires for audience and desires for the for the praise of men and uh and, and we will find ourselves losing our, losing our souls uh because of that and people will be led away because of that people will be scandalized because of the way people behave but of course the men who preach against it will be the ones who are cursed but who cares Jesus says that what we store up in heaven won't be taken away from us. So if I store up my treasure on earth, and I do believe that reputation and junkets and uh, all this other stuff is nothing but uh, treasure stored up on earth where moth and rust can destroy. People want to tickle your ears, and they want to sound edgy, but they just sound like any other gospel-denying, or excuse me, uh, word of God-denying person out there. If you can look at these verses and say, ah, God didn't really say that, then I don't know what to do with you. Yeah, you need to preach the gospel to a certain way to the to the bruised reed and the smoldering wick, but is that really what we're dealing with? Because all you're dealing with aren't you're not dealing with smoldering wicks, you're dealing with lights that you've blew out because you've preached the gospel in such a way that men no longer fear God. 
that men no longer pretend as if God is real and God cares. God actually does care. He doesn't want us to destroy ourselves. Why is God against these sins and why does God hate certain sins? Because it kills you and it kills the people that he has created and kills spiritually and physically the people for whom he died. And yet we would just say, well, it doesn't matter. But when we become so, and but, you know, enter, enter uh, drunkenness and entertainment budgets and junkets and all these things where these, where these people will go and where these people will just become the good old boy system uh, can be very handy in a way, but it can also be spiritually blinding uh, for us. And the church has always struggled with this since time immemorial. You know, we can look back, oh, I, I'm thankful we're not like Alexander VI, but lust for audience and lust for power blinds us to the reality to the point of we can't speak clearly about the issues that Scripture talks about. But thankfully, we're still sort of doing it on homosexual marriage, and we still do it on abortion. And that's good. Yeah. But that's it. I got in trouble because that's what I, it, it, I don't know, Zellan, it, it's just very, it's very distressing to me because we don't, we don't speak in concrete ways about concrete problems because that might ruffle feathers somewhere. And I think it's all tied up into this. And maybe I need to be more temperate in my words. I would certainly agree with that. And yet uh, you have so many voices out there with bigger audiences that will pat you on the head and say, everything's okay. Everything's calm. Everything's fine. Don't you worry your pretty little head. Well, maybe you should worry your head because it's about to be stricken off of you and you're about to face a judgment when it happens. You know, um, peace, peace where there is no peace. Exactly. And some book. right. But God does love you. And God, it's precisely because he does love you that he says, avoid these things. And, and somebody's going to say, no, there are no real antinomians out there. Nobody's actually, uh, telling you to actually go do things. You're absolutely right. Nobody is telling you that, but they are explicitly telling you it doesn't matter. They are explicitly telling you that God doesn't mean what he said here. Explicitly, they'll say, they'll preach in such a way that goes, well, such people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but you do these things and you're inheriting the kingdom of God. That's not the right way to preach this. That's not what Paul intends, but that is how it's often preached and taught and blogged and whatever. Well, because how many times does Paul say things like, you know, such were some of you. And such were some of you, right. Meaning were you, in the you past turn, tense. Yeah, you need to stop doing this. And and please spare me the straw man of, what well, you sin, I do. And I sin greatly. And Zelwyn sins. And every podcaster sins. And every pastor sins. But that's not the point. The point is the struggle against it. The point is willful, habitual sinning. And, and when we when we are doing that, we need to repent of that all the more. And not just make excuses for it. I just shake my head. I mean, the the American church and Americans are splitting hell wide open and they're being condemned each day. And we can't correct people because, oh, heaven forbid, we might sound Baptist. But the Baptists don't do any better job nowadays than we do. Uh, because we don't want to sound fundamentalist. We can't say this or don't want to sound legalistic, whatever that means. We can't talk about what it is. If someone wants to correct any theological thing, they're called uh, bigoted or they're called... Um, divisive uh, simply because of that. And it, and it's a shame, you know, people are, people are suffering because we are failing to do what we need to do. And that's just, and just, that's just the way it is. But let's by all means, keep taking our pictures. Let's keep smiling. Let's keep patting each other on the back. I'm thankful. I'm not like those Baptists over there. I'm thankful. I'm not like those Methodists over there. I'm thankful. I'm not like that church of Christ down the street. I'm trying right. to personalize it for you, Willie. So. No, thank you. Thank you. I don't know. I, I sometimes speak speak too harshly here, but 
Uh, maybe I just need to get off the internet. But I just see things that is just so. It's like, are you not even are you not even aware of what we're dealing with? I think so often about the average parish pastor and the sincere man of God who is just trying to shepherd his flock, and he sees these problems. And he looks and he says, I need some help with these. And he can't find any help because, oh, well, you don't need to worry about that. Or, oh, what do you, you know, what do you, what do you, a fundy? Or, or he looks and he looks, um, you know, he looks for those outside of himself and just sees men who are enjoying the high life, men who are, who are just having fun and living their best life now. And I, you know, those pastors will be, they're not, we're not going to see them in heaven, Zelman, because they're going to be so far ahead of us. We won't be able to make out their faces. Right. You know, good men that the world doesn't care about, and frankly, men who who would be chewed up and spit out uh, by those who who would claim to share the same confession that we do. And you know, we look at the state of our country and go, "Well, what about transgenderism? And what about uh, this and the drug problem?" It's precisely because we've denied these verses that this happens. There's three generations where we've said, "Ah, it doesn't really matter." Because, like when you we were we were talking earlier about First Timothy. And uh, the requirements of the office and stuff like that. I mean, you very often will hear it presented as, well, Paul just kind of was setting up an impossible standard. There's no way we could ever live up to these things. Right. You know, so we just kind of have to accept whatever comes. We don't need to pay attention to the verses which talk about, you know, being of one, a husband of one wife. We don't need to pay attention to those verses which hold up pastors as examples to the flock. You know, right. anything like that. We don't have to take any of that seriously because, well, nah. You know, yeah. that's really that's really all it comes down to. Right. But if, if we're going to if we're going to approach God's word in that way, is it any surprise, like you said, that we're in the mess that we're in? And again, you know, we, we want to do this prideful, in a, not in a prideful way, because there before the grace of God go I, we can we can fall into pride too, and this is not the way we intend this. We want to do this humbly, but humility and boldness are not opposites. I mean, you can you can have both. You can speak frankly and, and speak in the way the Bible speaks and still maintain humility. But we have to we have to wake up. I mean, we are becoming so desensitized, not just because of alcohol or drugs, but just the media we take in completely blinds us. Our brains are reprogrammed because of all that we see around us. And so we're not thinking clearly. We've allowed something else to take over our thinking. And so we become like the gathering demoniac in a way. And, right. and, and we need not do that. Um, think in terms of the scripture, cultivate a, an interior life of prayer. And I think we will do better. And just by all means, stop bragging about the feathers in our caps and bragging about what we're not like. Let us embrace what we are. Live as Lutherans, live as Christians, live as those who have been redeemed by Christ in a real way. You know, we've been redeemed in the judicial sense, but we've also been redeemed and, and are being redeemed and being remade um, as the Holy Spirit works through us. That's real, too. And so, you know, we, we, we need to lay hold of that and to, and to understand that and to, to struggle in that in the, in the best way. Yeah. Don't be filled with wine, like Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit. Amen. Any final words before we, before we wrap up? No, I mean... We have a lot of good things that I think that we've said, and um, I hope that we as well, not just for our audience, but we as well can take these things to heart because, yes, it is always a struggle to do these things. I mean, the Christian life is one of constant 
renewal of constant struggle. We recognize that, and I think we need to keep that in mind. But it is something that God intends to remake us through so that, you know, we will become like Christ, who himself, yes, he did drink alcohol, but he was not a drunkard, even though he was accused of being one. So in this way, we struggle with these things because in that way, we will become like Jesus in everything. And then we will see him in eternity. And I think that's something worth far more than just a little alcohol right now. Amen. Well, this has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. God love you and God bless. If I was a drunkard, I tell you what I would do. I would quit my drinking and work on a building too. AP Carter.